As you might know, whenever a wedding happens these days that involves at least one Catholic, about 40% of the time it's between a Catholic and a non-Catholic from all different faith traditions. So several years ago, I was celebrating a wedding between a Catholic groom and the bride was Jewish, and I was asked to offer a blessing. And so the night before, there was a rehearsal, and these families are really pretty good-natured. We went out for dinner, the wine was flowing pretty freely, and there was a lot of conversation about the similarities or differences between those two faith traditions. And eventually, maybe inevitably, the subject of Catholic guilt came up. And they were trying to come up with sort of a simple definition of Catholic guilt. And so, of course, they all looked at me and... I didn't have much to add. And so finally, the father of the bride, the Jewish dad, said, okay, father, I'll let you off the hook. I'll tell you what Catholic guilt is. And he proceeded to tell this story. He said these two families, one Catholic and one Jewish, they were really good friends. They decided one night they'd go out to see a movie. So they go, and the theater's in one of these ginormous malls, right? So they're in the parking garage, and they have to walk like six blocks to get to the theater. So they get there, they watch the movie, everybody has a great time, and afterwards they're coming back. And suddenly it dawns on them, they've forgotten where they parked. And they're wandering through this huge parking garage. And eventually at some point, the Jewish mom looks at her family and she says, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I can't believe we've done this. Oh, how did we get ourselves in this mess? And she looks at the kids and she says, you know, you should have paid more attention in school. You, you could have gotten used to, you know, making mental notes of where we are. Your memory might be better. She looks at her husband and she says, gosh, we're awful witnesses for our kids. Why couldn't we be better at something like this? You know, it's such a silly thing. We shouldn't lose our car. And then the Catholic mom looks at her family and she says, stop. Somebody here lost our car and we're not taking another step until they come forward and admit it. And the father of the bride said, and father, that's Catholic guilt. I'm mentioning that because, caricatured as it might be, that sense of Catholic guilt, that sense of, boy, you better do this or I'm gonna hold it against you, or you better do this or you're gonna feel terrible, or you better do this because there's some rule or law that says you better do it. I'm reminded of that in light of our psalm today. Now, I get it. We don't always pay attention to the psalm, and maybe now in these COVID days, we don't have our worship aids with us. But it's Psalm 119, and it's a hot day, so everyone's going to want to stay inside this afternoon. Pull out Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. It's 176 verses. And it's special because every single one of those 176 verses contains the Hebrew word for law or statute or instruction. It's an amazing piece of poetry, the way the author has managed to weave in a word that somehow means, here's what God desires for you to do. And that psalm, the longest psalm in the Psalter, in all different ways, invites both the singer and the hearer to reflect on that reality. And so the refrain, if you heard it, beautifully sung here this morning, Lord, 
I love your commands. Did you catch that? Lord, I love your commands. There's no Catholic guilt there. I love your commands. Not, I better follow your commands. Not, I'll suck it up and do it because this is what you want me to do. Not, I don't want to break the rules. I love your commands. That's probably not the way we tend to associate love and commandments. Think of the parable, right? The pearl of great price. Would any of us ever say that the pearl that the guy finds in the field is the commands of the Lord? This is it. This is the greatest thing I could ever have. And not simply, I've got the kind of character that wants to follow the law, but I love the law. And basically, what that captures is the sense of, Lord, what I desire is what you desire for me. Even more than I want to follow your laws and precepts, I want what you want. Because what God wants is nothing other than that covenantal relationship. For anyone who's in religious life, sooner or later they'll come across the word docility. We talk about it at the seminary a lot. Obedience is what gets promised, but docility is what it looks like. And if obedience in our culture isn't necessarily the most popular word, docility is probably even less so. I don't want to be docile. I don't want to be a doormat for other people to walk over. But that word docility is tied up with simply saying, I trust. I trust the one who's leading me. I trust that the one who's leading me ultimately loves me. And because I trust the one who's leading me, then I love what it is they have to say. I love their desire for me because I know that they love me. And here's where my dad at that rehearsal dinner had an awful lot of wisdom because I think we're never really going to love those precepts of God. We're never going to love, Lord, your commands unless we do it collectively, unless we do it as a family. You lose your car as a family, you find your car as a family. That somehow we are all bound up in this. And St. Paul and Jesus, they certainly got that. And we have that language today, the body of Christ, the communion that we celebrate. But what does it mean to really feel it? And the first time, I think, we find ourselves railing against something that we're asked to do, it's a fair question to just hit the pause button and say, do I trust the one who's asking me to do this? Do I believe in the one who's asking me to do this? Do I desire what they desire? I was talking with Father Trout. We were comparing wedding notes, as often happens. And it's interesting, in this time of pandemic, some families and friends keep those masks on during weddings, and others are looking for every opportunity to sneak it off when no one's looking. What does it mean to say, I'm in this communally, and what I desire is because I desire the best for you, and I believe you desire the best for me? So just a little spiritual exercise, maybe in this summer week, to go through with brutal honesty and ask ourselves, well, where do I struggle with the precepts of the church or scripture? Yeah, I know what it is that God is asking of me, 
but here's where I'm looking to cut corners. Here's where I don't want to go there. If we don't love God's commands, it's not usually because we hate them. It's because we fear them. We fear that if I did what was really asked of me, then what? If I really did follow through on this call for obedience, would I have less time? Would I have less resources? Would I have to look inside at myself and my life and decisions that I've made? And I'd rather not go there. And those fears can be so powerful. And pretty soon they have a way of just hardening around us. And they're incapable of producing anything much more creative than Catholic guilt. And that's why Catholic guilt should be the punchline to a joke. I know that for those of us who really love the church and our faith, that's not the thing that drives us. But it can, that fear, it can get awfully stubborn. And if you find yourself then, yeah, this is the thing, you know, that call to generosity, that call to look deep inside at my own choices and recognizing that they can be hurtful and harmful to others. If I don't want to look there, then just push yourself. Just look a little bit. Take a baby step. And then begin to see if it's as bad as you thought. Almost always, false fears begin to fade away once we actually engage them. And when Rachel comes up in a few minutes to receive her First Communion, and she says, Amen, for the first time, what she's really saying in beautifully poetic language is, Lord, I love what you desire for me. That's really what we're saying every time we come up and say Amen to that extraordinary body of Christ in front of us. That is our pearl of great price. And are we willing to let everything else go because we love that desire? We love that command.